Welcome to the Emmanuel Baptist Church Podcast. We pray that the sermon you're about to hear would be useful as you grow in your love for God and your love for His church. Now, here's today's sermon. If you're towards the back, you maybe didn't see, but let Judah stand during some of that worship and he uh, started swaying back and forth, had a little Pentecostal sway to him, and you can take him, take him out of the Pentecostal church, but the, can't take the Pentecost out of him, I guess, so we're going to take that out of the recording, so yes, sir. <laughs> Well, if you would, go ahead and turn to 1 John. Uh, That's where we are and we have been. We're going to be walking through it, through the book of 1 John, and uh, looking at it verse by verse. And we're continuing in chapter 3. Chapter 3. Let me give the context leading into today's passage so that you really have a good bearing of what it is John's talking about. Uh, You have a good framework for our... um, are looking at it today. So chapter 3 really starts with John celebrating adoption into the family of God. We see that in the very first verse of chapter 3. He says, see what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. So he starts the chapter with celebrating adoption. And then the rest of the chapter, he really spends for all of chapter 3 talking about Therefore, two essentials, two essentials, uh, traits or characteristics that all adopted members of the family will have. Because you're adopted, anticipate looking like this. Or because they're adopted, anticipate seeing this in them. It's the rest of the chapter. And really, the the center point of those two is is verse 10. Look, Look with me at chapter 3, verse 10. It says, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love God or love his brother. Let's go to the pulpit, Mike. That'd be a lot easier. Thank you. Sorry, guys. So that's the, like, the, got to stay here now. (laughs) Oh, man. Can't take the Pentecostal out of me either. (laughs) Let's try that again. So all of chapter 3 has to do with two characteristics of the children of God. And verse 10 is the hinge point to that. He says, by this it's evident that you are children of God. Firstly, that you practice righteousness. Secondly, that you love. And so before verse 10 is that first characteristic. Verses 4 through 10 is righteousness. Of God's people. And then verses 10 onward for the rest of the chapter is the second trait loving one another. Loving one another. Now, these two character traits of those who are adopted into God's family are not prerequisites, as in you you better have these, and if we don't see them, you're kicked out. No, that's not it. Rather, it's tell signs that you are a part of the family. They're tell signs righteousness and, and love. In other words, a child of God who doesn't live righteously, it's like a square circle or a circle with three sides. It just doesn't happen. You have to live righteously. It's a tell sign. 
In the same way, a child of God who does not show love is like a married bachelor. Right? It just, it just doesn't happen. These are tell signs of God's people. Well, today, we're starting the section on righteousness. Next week, we'll have to do it as well because we're only going to get through one verse today on this first sign. And it starts in verse 4. Chapter 3, verse 4. Let me read it for us today. One verse. John says, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. This week and next week, we're going to be talking about how the Christian is to be righteous. And he talks about that in the framework of being lawful. Of being lawful. You know, understand, and I'm really only doing this one verse and letting the rest of it be talked about next week because the law can be so confusing for Christians. Understanding our relationship with the law, that is God's law, the Old Testament law, the Mosaic law, is really, really important to understand. How do we relate with it? For, for your own sake, it's good to know. Maybe you've lived by the phrase before, you've said the phrase, you've posted on Facebook the phrase that it's about relationship, not religion. I'm talking about? Common phrase, or it's relationship, not rules. And, and to that, I just, I just want to say, okay, well, okay, try that with your marriage. Just today, go home and tell your wife, sweetheart, I've been thinking. I, I do want a relationship. I just don't feel like we need to put rules to it, you know? And then I'll just meet you guys next week for counseling. It just won't work, right? Relationship without rules is chaos, and it's not a genuine relationship. And so I, I just hear those pithy statements, and I'm like, do you know what you're saying? It's important to know our relationship with God's law for your sake and your theology, but also for your conversations with unbelievers, people that don't know God. Have you ever had a conversation something like this? Someone comes up to you, so you believe the, the whole Bible, huh? That ancient thing? Yeah, I sure do. Oh, so you stone people then? Well, no, we don't do that part. Oh, okay. So you're just inconsistent, or uh, do you at least obey the Ten Commandments? Well, yeah, we, we still do those ones. Oh, so you, you are just inconsistent. You pick and choose. You cherry pick. That's what you do. These ones, but not those ones. Well, no, not quite. I, I, uh, uh, you know what I'm talking about? It's important for us to understand our relationship with God's law for your sake and for the sake of conversations you have with unbelievers when you witness to them. And it's really easy to misunderstand your relationship with the law, my relationship with the Old Testament law. Because I think when you're walking down that road of understanding and, and having a good relationship with the law, the, the one God wants you to have, you can fall off on either side into a ditch. Both ditches are bad. The, the first one to the left, you could call antinomianism. And you're like, well, that's a huge word. Well, it's really not. An, so nomianism, or nomian, is related to the Greek word for law. 
So antinomianism is anti-lawness. That's what it is, anti-law. So on the one side of the ditch, you can fall off of and just be, see God's law or Old Testament law as irrelevant and not for today. Anti-law, antinomian. Say, we don't, we don't need the law. Jesus gives us grace. New covenant, scrap all that. Rules, all they do is enslave people. They make relationships stale. Ever heard that? Make Christianity stale. That's what rules do. We just need to focus on grace more. Just focus on grace all the time. And then I just want to turn to chapter 3, verse 4 and say, well, lawlessness is sin. And sin is to be lawless or anti-law. So that doesn't work, but you don't want to jump onto the road to fall off on the other side to not be anti-law, but rather legalistic, and you know that one, where we overemphasize the law, make the law serve in a way that God doesn't intend for it to serve in, to bind yourself with the law and maybe even add to what the law even says for yourself and for others in a way that God never wanted that to take place. It's an overdoing of the law or a misplacing of priority on it. And we see this in churches all the time, don't we? I think a common one, controversial one, but one nonetheless is if you drink alcohol, you can't be a Christian and not a part of this body of Christ. Look for that in the law. Look for that in the law. That camp forgets that we do have liberty in Christ. That Christ has freed us from the burden of the law. And so, we don't want to fall off on either side of the road, do we? Anti-law, seeing only grace is important. Law is completely unimportant. And we don't want to fall off on the other side to see that law is massively important, that it's the main thing, and it's actually the thing that brings us salvation. We don't want to fall off on that side. Don't want to be legalists or antinomian. So, enough of an introduction. Two things I want to do today in our time, looking at verse 4. Firstly, We have to figure out what is the law. What does that term mean, the law? What is the law? Secondly, what relationship do Christians have with the law today? What is it, and now what do we have when it comes to a relationship with it? Okay? Let's walk through those two questions this morning. Firstly, what is the law? Well, the law, in quotes, oftentimes, when it's talked about in God's word, refers to all 613 rules that God lays out in the Old Testament for Israel through Moses. Yes, 613 of them. And that's what it's talking about. It covers a full range of life. How to treat your neighbor, your family, your spouse, your boss, your servant, your children, your co-workers, How to farm your field, how not to farm your field, how to conduct business, how to exchange money, what worship looks like, and that is 
how to sacrifice, what to sacrifice, when to sacrifice. 613 laws that really constituted the life and the society of Old Testament Israel. And Jews, including Jesus, lived by these laws. We even see in Luke chapter 2, it's New Testament. Jesus lived under the law and it said, verse 22 of Luke chapter 2, And when the time came for their their purification according to the law of Moses, according to the law, they, that's Jesus' parents, Joseph and Mary, brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord as it was written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. So they observed the law. They lived according to the law. So that's oftentimes what the law is talking about. But the law also refers to morals summarized in what is known as the Ten Commandments. Oftentimes that's what's being talked about when the law is talked about. The Ten Commandments are part of the 613 laws given on Mount Sinai. But these had prominence in God delivering them. What I mean by that is not all of them were sketched on stone, but these ten were. So if you know the story, I can't read it all, but I'll summarize it. Moses goes up the mountain. People wait at the base of the mountain, and he goes and meets with God. And God says, the word says that God wrote on two tablets with his finger commandments on two different tablets. He gives them to Moses. Moses goes down the mountain to give them to Israel. If you remember the story, they're worshiping this golden calf. He gets angry and throws them down and breaks them. And to that, I just want to, like, maybe the attention isn't given that it's deserved. I don't want to be the one to go tell God that I just broke what he just made. Now, just imagine that. Like, God just wrote it with his finger sketched in stone and... Moses, in a moment of anger, throws it down and breaks him. You ever break something where you're just like, oh, I don't want to tell that person. I just did that. I think I've told the story before of when I needed to crack open a coconut. And, and uh, in my moment of genius, grabbed a hammer and laid it on the firm foundation of a granite countertop. And you know the story where I hit it. Coconuts are typically round, rolls, and breaks, and I, oh no, dad's coming home, <laughs> right? And I just thought, I wouldn't want to be Moses because, you know, telling dad about the granite is still yet underneath telling God, hey, I, I broke what you made. But Moses does it. He, he goes back up the mountain and he gets new ones from God. God is gracious to him. And uh, God makes him a second copy. We see that in Exodus 34. The Lord said to Moses, cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first one, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. (laughs) It's like, I get it. (laughs) And we're told what exactly was on the tablets in Deuteronomy chapter 10. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 1, verse 4, sorry. God wrote on the tablets in the same writing as before, the Ten Commandments, that the Lord had spoken to you on the mountains out of the midst of the fire of the days of the assembly, and the Lord gave them to me. This is Moses writing. 
And so these two tablets talked about the ten moral commandments, the ten laws that God made, which had prominence amongst the 613. And these tablets were kept in what was known as the Ark of the Covenant, in the Holy of Holies, in the temple of God. So that's sometimes what the law is referring to, is the Ten Commandments. And Jesus actually summarizes, or you could say compresses these ten, which already summarized the whole moral law, summarized into ten. And the ten are summarized by Jesus into two commandments in Matthew 22. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great, the first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So the moral laws are compressed into ten. Jesus compresses the ten into two. Love God, love people. And then Paul even summarizes Jesus' two commands into one word in Romans 13. The commandments... You shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. The moral law summarized into one word. Love. But since the ten moral laws are summarized into one word, love, I think some people make the, the wrong jump to assume, well, then the ten laws don't matter. No. Summarized does not mean abolished. It means summarized. And so that is oftentimes what the law is. It's God's moral code for you and I. So how does the law of God now relate to us? Now that we've talked about what is the law, how does it relate to you and I? You ever had a, uh, especially dating, ever had a, what is it, uh, define the relationship conversation, DTR conversation, You're like, hey, we got to sit down. What is this? <laughs> well, what's our plan? Are we putting a ring on it? Are we not? Right? Define the relationship. I feel like Christians oftentimes need to have the DTR conversation with the law because we sometimes get very confused on like, where, what is, what is this? Right, what is this? How much of, tracking with me? We didn't have a DTR conversation with the law. Well, traditionally, I think this is helpful, the law is broken up into three categories, okay? Three categories. Firstly, there's the ceremonial law, and that is sacrifices, that's religious and worship practices, that's the washing and the cleansings, these are ceremonial laws. And in this first category of laws, we know that Jesus is our, what Hebrews says, the once for all sacrifice. He is our purity and our righteousness. He clothes us in his righteousness and he is our sacrifice. And so these ceremonial laws are fulfilled and perfected in the single work of Jesus Christ on the cross for your sins and my sins. So no longer need to act out these purity laws or no longer need to perform these sacrifices according to the ceremonial laws. Jesus has perfected that once and for all. Now then there's a second kind of laws, not ceremonial, but civil laws that God gave Israel. These were policies 
for having an orderly society. Israel was a nation. They were people. They didn't quite have speeding tickets because they didn't have cars, but maybe got a speeding ticket with a camel. I don't know. I'm stick with the notes. But these were civil laws. They were policies for orderly society, regulations for the workplace, how to keep things going without breaks and bra- uh, uh, brawls breaking out all the time. And we know that we're not a theocracy anymore. We're underneath a worldly government, just as everyone else is. <clears throat> God's people isn't a nation anymore, but has been dispersed into worldly governments with new laws that Jesus says you need to obey. So these civil laws no longer apply because we're not Israel. We're the church. So there are ceremonial laws Christ has taken care of, civil laws which no longer apply, and third category, moral laws. Things which are fundamentally and inherently the right thing to do. That's the Ten Commandments. That's sexual ethic. Homosexuality, adultery, bestiality, incest, all of that is sexual ethic, and that's moral laws. Also, you can throw in laws which prohibit sorcery or kidnapping, right? These are different examples of what is under moral laws, moral laws in God's law. And this is the only area of the law which still applies because ethics don't change, do they? God's people are still to be ethical. God's people are still to obey what God would say is moral. They don't disappear. So two ways, two ways this morning that I want to talk about briefly, where the moral law of God in the Old Testament proves to be your friend every day and how you live. We're under Christ and the covenant of Christ and the grace that he gives, and yet the Old Testament moral law is your daily friend and useful and applicable. Two ways, and these are probably the most important of the whole message today. So please get this if you didn't get anything else. Firstly, the moral laws in in the Old Testament are your friend because, number one, it reminds you of your need for Jesus. It reminds you of your need for Jesus. You know, good friends, they shoot straight with you, don't they? They'll say the hard things that need to be heard if it's for your well-being. You know, bad friends, fake friends. They'll just be like, no, 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 you're totally good. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. When really you need to to have a conversation. Someone needs to have a wake-up call for you. Someone needs to say what no one else is saying to you. There's a lot of those bad friends, but the good friend will shoot straight. It's like, hey, you need to sit down. We're having an intervention. Right? That's a good friend. And the law is a good friend, firstly, because it tells you of your need for Jesus. When you look at the Old Testament moral laws, we read through them, we flip through them, and we meditate on them, we quickly realize a few things. Firstly, that we, we don't add up. We don't add up to what God expects. Romans 3 Verse 20 says, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. 
That's in God's sight. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So the law just has an intervention. says, hey, you need to sit down. You're not perfect. Yeah, I know. I said it. I had to say it. You're not perfect. And therefore, the law tells us that we are deserving of God's punishment. Being not perfect. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, Paul writes, God has made us sufficient to be ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter of the law, but of the Spirit. For the letter of the law kills, but the Spirit gives life. What is Paul talking about here? Well, when you look at the law, James actually uses the analogy of like looking in a mirror. When you look at the law and you see yourself and the blemish is there, and you know God expects nothing less than perfection to be in union with him, and judgment is given to anyone who isn't perfect under the moral law. Well, now that the moral law shows our blemishes, now it tells us, you're dead. It's a hard conversation. It's an uncomfortable conversation. But it's what we need to hear. That's what interventions are. And that's what good friends do. It tells us we're not perfect before a holy God. And therefore, it brings the reality or the realization of death. But it doesn't stop there because it's our friend. (laughs) It also tells us, thirdly, that we need someone else to take our place and live the life that we couldn't. It says you need to start looking at someone other than yourself. Look outside of yourself for a Savior because you don't add up. Galatians chapter 3, verse 22. But the Scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Do you see that? The scripture or the law, the scriptures imprisoned everything underneath sin so that what would happen? It condemns us so that what would happen? So that we would look outside of ourselves to find Christ and believe in him who died for us. You see, the moral laws, they apply today. They are helpful today. They are good friends to you. Why? Because they show you your blemishes. They show you that you don't add up. They show you that the penalty for sin is death. And they show you that you need a Savior, Jesus Christ. The law is helpful because it tells us to start running to Jesus. Our Savior, the perfect law keeper. It's your friend. Today, not just Old Testament Israel, today. But secondly, the moral laws in the Old Testament do apply and they're helpful and they're your friend. Secondly, because it guides you in holy living. Not only does it tell you that you need a Savior, but it guides you still in moral living. In school in Springfield, I had a couple professors that were just huge mentors to me in the time, and uh, I really, I would call them that, mentors. More than professors, they were mentors, and so after class, I would go to their office, and I would just sit down and just talk through, and hey, wh- what do I do with this, and how does this make sense, and I've been studying this, and, and they would just sit down, and they would just talk to me, and they would help me, and they would encourage me, and what they would do is they would guide me 
and holiness. And I think that's what the law does. Did you know you were created for good works? God created you for good works. That's living a life that is holy as worship to God. It's true. It's true. Ephesians chapter 2 says it. It's not just Isaac. God's word says it. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We were created for good works. Well, one might ask, and if it's you, I'm, I'm glad because we're about to go there. Where in the world could we possibly go to find a list of actions which are considered good works? Huh. Hmm. <laughs> the law is our friend because it guides us in holy living and good works. God laid it out for us, not just Israel, but for you, that we might see them, meditate on them, and say, I want to live that way. I won't do it perfectly. I need my Savior. But I want to live that way. See, the the law is a lousy Savior. In fact, it condemns you. The law is a lousy Savior, but it is a great guide in what holiness looks like. So use it. As the psalmist did, delight in it, love it, meditate on it, read it, think on it, strive for it. That's why Jesus said his famous words at the end of Matthew, at the very back of the book, Matthew 28, you know the Great Commission, 19 and 20, go therefore and make disciples of all uh, all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the ends of the age. See what Jesus said there? He did not say, I know you might think so, but he did not say, go make disciples, teaching them to be in relationship without rules. No. Go make disciples, teaching them to observe my commandments, to live holy lives, to be in good works as I've created them for it. So, if you're a Christian today, I don't know where you're at in your walk with Christ, but if you are walking that road, It's likely you have been, at one time or another, in one of the ditches. One of the two camps that I mentioned at the very beginning. Firstly, you may be on the left side. And you you may care a lot. Actually, I think it was the right side. You may care a lot about morals. And you may take them very, very seriously. And to that, I would say, praise God. Praise God. But you might also, being in the ditch on that side, sometimes find your self-worth and how good you are in those good works, comparing yourself to other people, looking at them and saying, yeah, look at me. 
Worse, if you're on that side, you can't help but worry that God's value of you is based on how good you are. And on those days you slip up, God's love for you slips up. My encouragement to you, your misunderstanding of the law, listen, you're chasing something that you'll never be able to catch, ever, in and of yourself. You'll never be perfect. You'll never line up. You'll never meet the standard that God expects. Don't make your holiness your Savior. Don't make your holiness your Savior. Find freedom from perfection by putting your faith in Jesus' finished work on the cross. But to the second group, maybe you tend to value and trust the grace of Jesus Christ. And it's easy for you to look at him and, and say, but I'm saved. I know I mess up here, but I'm saved. And you have a firm confidence in the grace of Jesus. And to that, I'd say, praise God. Amen. But if you're on that side, you may see no value in laws and rules. Feel like religion makes your relationship stale and enslaved and and constricted. To you, I would encourage you, read the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. You'll see that Jesus cares a whole lot about holy living, not just grace. That's half the story. Jesus cares a lot about your morality and your everyday living. He cares a lot about laying parameters and guardrails and, dare I say, rules. Grace is not the whole story of your Christianity. It's your salvation. I'd encourage you to do as the psalmist does and delight in the law of the Lord. Yes, delight in it. Love that the law is there for you because it's your friend. Delight in the law of the Lord. Read it, meditate it, learn from it, grow in it. It's for everybody. Wherever you're at in your understanding of the law and your relationship with it. But I just say for everyone, let us strive for balance. Loving both God's grace and God's law. Grace for salvation and law for holiness. That we might be holistically what God would ask us to be. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, today would be a really good day to find him as your Lord and Savior. You can't do it on yourself. You can't have a relationship with God by yourself. The law tells you that. I hope you hear the law's words in that and run to Jesus, the one who does it perfectly, lived the life that you can't, died the death you deserved, and then offers it freely to exchange with you your sinfulness for his righteousness. I'd encourage you to to find salvation in Jesus today, if you haven't. There will be people up here that would love to pray with anybody that needs prayers, and we'd love to pray with you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer right now. 
Thanks for listening to today's sermon. If you live in or near Bethany, Missouri, we invite you to join us for our worship services held on Sunday morning and Sunday evenings, as well as our various activities on Wednesday nights. For more information on how you can get involved, visit our website at bethanyibc.com. 